Well, we're looking at Luke chapter 15. Sunday school and Wednesday night are our teaching hours. And then Sunday morning and Sunday night, I preach. And so tonight we're teaching. And of course, preaching and teaching are synonymous, really. It's just that preaching has a little more emphasis behind it. Uh, it means to proclaim or to evangelize. And you know what the word teach means. So tonight we're teaching. We're in Luke chapter 15. Very short passage tonight, but next week we have a very long passage. We looked last Wednesday at the lost sheep. And we know the lost sheep was one of a hundred. And we said it was carelessly lost. Tonight we'll look at the lost silver, one of ten, blindfully lost. And next week we'll look at the lost son, one of two, willingly lost. And we know that he chose to willingly just leave, and we'll talk about that next week. But we know the, the main the main truth in every parable is what you try to find. You don't get caught up in all the little things. There's a main truth, the main teaching here is God's concern for one. And, and, and we need to remember that if we have to leave the 99 to go seek one, we have to do that. And on Sundays, we have around 100 people. I think 105 last Sunday. So let's think about the one who wasn't here, who's out, who needs encouragement, and of course, who needs to be saved? You know, that's always something we have to think about. Remember, I'm going to remind you each week about um, parables so that you have certain things that you won't forget. A parable is not a true story, but shared with us to illustrate truth. And we always mention Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to mention it again, read it again, and you will understand why each week I read this, and eventually you'll get so tired of it, you'll have it memorized. And you'll say, he doesn't need to go there. We know that. But in Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 and 11, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it is not given. And so God, God shares some things with us, and the world doesn't understand. Going back 2,000 years, he shared things with the disciples, and the world didn't understand. And he would quite often answer their question with a question. He knew what they were thinking. He would tell parables to uh, throw them off. Of They were sometimes like hound dogs. In Luke chapter 5, we're in Luke 15, but I'm going to read from Luke 5 for just a moment. We know in Luke chapter 5, verses 29 and 30, the crowds wanted to hear him in chapter 5, 29 and 30. And Levi, remember, that's, that's his name before being saved. What was his name after being saved? Matthew. Levi made a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with them. And one, and of course, it says here, but the scribes, remember the scribes were, the word is grammaticus, our word grammar comes from that. They were the writers, weren't they? And they were writers, the scribes and the, and the Pharisees, they were the separatists. The Pharisees, extremely separated but lost. They murmured against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And of course, Jesus said, those that are whole don't need a physician. Now, the irony is they thought they were whole and they were lost. The, the, the Pharisees were sin sick, weren't they? So here he 
shares the reason he's telling this story, this little parable. Now remember, this is part of two other parables. This is only three verses, verses 8, 9, and 10. Let's pray. God bless us as we spend a few moments looking into your word that we'll learn something that's helpful for us. Apply it to our lives, not to just be hearers, but to be doers. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to read verses 8 through 10, 15, 8 through 10. And I know it's the custom to stand, so if you're able and want to stand, you may. But if you're not healthy enough, just go ahead and be seated. But it says here in verse 8, he's just talked in verse 4. What man of you, remember? What man of you last week? Now he says, either what woman having ten pieces of silver? If she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of angels, in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Thank you. You may be seated. Joy in the presence of angels. Uh, yeah, a lot of people talk about the angels rejoicing. That's technically not what it says. Maybe they do rejoice. I don't know. Here's the thing. Angels don't even understand salvation, Scripture says. So there's rejoicing in the presence of angels. We know God rejoices, right? And maybe those saints that have gone on before us are rejoicing. I don't know, but there's rejoicing. And we ought to rejoice on earth as well. While we don't know hearts when we hear reports of people being saved, it ought to encourage us. So here they are, they're murmuring, they're complaining because Jesus is spending time with sinners. Why is he spending time with these rotten people? And that fascinates me because they thought they were righteous, they were not. Who was righteous? Levi. <laughs> Levi. And he was, I like it because Matthew gets saved and what does he do? The first thing he does is has a banquet. He has a party and he invites all his friends. So here's a whole bunch of sinners to meet Jesus. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. And he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. I like that. So the reason Jesus told the story is to answer their complaints about the fact that he was spending time with sinners. And the lesson he's teaching, well, sheep were living creatures and represented getting lost, but the coin was not living. So it, it must have gotten lost. And we think about this lady now. She gets a light and begins to look for this coin. And she's persistent. She's persistent. She's persistent. And then when she finds it, she asks everybody to come and rejoice with her. Now, remember, parables aren't true. But the point Jesus is making here is that it's very important, important to find the lost one. And when you find the lost one, it's worth sharing that testimony for others to rejoice. I don't know if a lady would lose a coin and find it if she called all the neighbors in. But this isn't a true story. But it illustrates something very important. The value of one and the fact that we should rejoice when lost things are found. And primarily, we need to rejoice when lost people come to Jesus. The church has lost its focus. You know, I've told you, I absolutely despise debt. Panama, we left. 
Didn't have a debt. Okinawa, debt free. Thank God. I don't like debt. Because we spend all kinds of money. There's nothing wrong with having nice buildings. I understand as churches grow, you need a roof over your head. But the early church, they met in homes. Their money was spent feeding poor people, sending missionaries. They, they weren't concerned about, you know, all the things we're concerned about. I, uh, I have several pastors, friends that make hundred and something thousand dollars a year. And, and, and that's that church's business. But I just, just don't know how to justify Maybe, maybe they need that, but I, I just, I don't know how I would feel if I made that kind of money. Could I, could I sleep with a clean conscience? And I know, I, I think they're probably worth it, okay, but I just struggle with that because I think we, it's become such a business now, the church. And we don't see people saved as much as we should. And, and we're so into things. I mean, uh, uh, and we're just, we try to impress people. You know, this is a beautiful facility, but this facility is meaningless if people don't get saved here. And if we don't preach the truth in this pulpit, we might as well burn it. Because it's all about souls, not pews. If one of these pews was torn, I wouldn't wouldn't lose a lot of sleep over it. But if one of our members was injured... I should be way more concerned about that than a pew. And I tell you, we get caught up into my pew and sanctuary. Did you know this is not a sanctuary? That, that word is actually unbiblical. This is just simply a, an auditorium. Sheetrock. This is a sanctuary. We learned that, we learned that Sunday night, didn't we? This is a sanctuary. And did you know every person here is more important than this building? Yeah, and I think churches have gotten so wrapped up into material things they've lost focus. I know there are mega churches all over this world that don't give anything for missions. Nothing for missions. They're building, they're building, they're building. We need to build lives rather than buildings. It's all about souls. And I got way off the subject, but evidently I needed to. I don't know, but... So Jesus is talking about the importance of one. And here this coin is lost. Now what about this coin? What's this illustration about? Well, women in that day received a dowry. And they would wear the dowry actually around their neck. And they'd put the coins on a, a, some sort of chain or cord or rope or whatever they had. And that was important to a woman. She was given that, she brought that into marriage, and it was something they would hang on to. And usually the dowry consisted of an even number, like 10 coins. And, and certain coins were more valuable than, than others. And of course, if you were wealthy, you had, you know, more expensive coins. I know if you go to Israel, they, they have all kinds of coins. And some of them, I, I, I was embarrassed as at the, I had a bunch of change left over after my trip, and I'm at the airport, and I go up to buy a soda, and I think, you know, of all these coins I have, I can figure out a way. And I went up there, and the lady just shook her head. And I thought, well, there's a lot of coins in my hand, three or four different kinds. But they were all basically worthless. 
It was like pennies and nickels or something, little little shekels, you know. And she kept saying no, and finally someone said, sir, what do you need? I'll buy you whatever you need because you don't have enough money there. It's embarrassing, you know. But if you were a wealthy woman, your coins were more valuable. And the dowry meant a lot to a woman because she brought that into the marriage and uh and it, it meant a lot if she lost something, she'd feel kind of incomplete that she wasn't responsible. And so she'd really, really look hard. And the idea of, you know, looking hard. And now regardless of the amount, um, look here, it says, if she lost one piece, and we don't know exactly what piece it was, but if if it were silver, it was equivalent to a day's pay. And if it were not, it was worth less. But she, it was important to her. It was important to her. And so she searches. Sheep were important to shepherds. And dowries were important to women. And next week we'll learn about the importance of a son to a father. And that's big, isn't it? That's one of the great passages in Scripture. Now, some teach that the woman uh, represents the Holy Spirit. Others have said that she represents the church, and there's different ideas on this. But she was evidently a poor woman uh, because the coin uh, is, is not referred to by terms that would describe it as an expensive coin. And we know that uh, they drilled holes in these coins a lot of times and put them on a string, and, and they, they usually would have time... 10, but this wasn't really about monetary loss. It was really more about the value of this to her. Today, we have a lot of things that are valuable to us that may not be really um, worth a lot of money, but this, this, it was important to her. You have a few things that you cherish, you know, maybe not expensive things, but things you really hang on to. And, and you know the, how much they mean to you. And so this meant a lot to her. And the point is that the value of one thing to her and one thing to the shepherd and one thing to the father, we need to understand the value of one to God is the same way. God cares about one. We think of God, you know, the all-knowing, all-powerful God. I mean, as busy as he must be, as important as he is, and he cares about one. He cares about that snotty-nosed little kid that comes to church and runs up and down the aisles and gets on everyone's nerves. Don't hinder that kid from coming to Jesus. Be kind to that kid. That kid may end up being D.L. Moody, you know? I mean, a shoe salesman that did his job, you know. Uh, and, and the value of one. Some emphasize that coins had images, and so God, we're made in God's image. But then, of course, when man fell, um, you know, we become children of the devil and not children of God anymore, you know. The Bible says that we're not children of God until we're saved. So there's different ideas on the small things, but the big point is the value of one. Others say that the lamp 
represents the Word of God. Remember Psalm 119, 105 says, the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So there's different ideas in the small things, but we remember the value of one. And there's joy in the presence of angels over one. We need to rejoice about one. You know, I think about, you know, big things that happen in churches, and we praise the Lord when some big things happen. You know, if someone over the years, we, we, I remember in Okinawa, we, we wanted to pay off our church debt, and we came up with the idea uh, that everyone would tithe ahead. You give $2,000 ahead, so you're tithing weeks or months ahead. And we took all that money, we paid a debt off, and it was great, and we rejoiced. And then I realized, and you know, I mean, I, I already realized it, but I mean, then I thought, and I thought this would be a good sermon illustration. How we rejoice over the fact that we paid a building off, but we should rejoice more over the fact that people were being saved. See? We forget. We don't emphasize, you know, the, the, the importance of souls. And so, the value of one. Now, it says here that there's joy in the presence over one sinner that repents. So I thought we'd just spend a moment on the idea of repentance. Repentance includes three things. First of all, repentance includes the knowledge of sin. Before anyone can repent, they have to understand sin. When we witness to somebody, the first thing we want them to understand is that they're a sinner. You cannot repent if you're not aware of what sin is and aware of the fact that you're a sinner. I remember years ago, I was witnessing to a man who lived a few streets over, an older gentleman, and I was a young guy in my maybe 20 or something. And uh, I believe his name was Mr. Ganey, I can't recall. And I was talking to him about being a sinner, and he said, I'm a pretty good person. All my life I've been a good person. My good outweighs my bad. And you know, as a young guy, it's really hard for me to say, listen, I don't want to hear that nonsense, you're a sinner. You know, you're just trying to be respectful and you're trying to point out to him that, listen, I realize you think you're good, but all your righteousness are as filthy rags. And that's actually a pretty disgusting description of sin. You know that I've explained it to you, what filthy rags can speak of. So, you know, it's hard to say that, but it's, we have to actually make that point very clear to people that you are a sinner. Did you know that every one of you has broken all Ten Commandments? You say, wait a minute, I haven't killed anyone. The Bible said, if you hate someone, you've committed murder in your heart. You know? We're not under the Sabbath anymore, but we break the Sabbath like crazy. All you have to do is start your car on Saturday, you've broken the Sabbath. But, you know, we do that. We, we violate the ten. And so it's pretty easy to explain that to you, your believers. But someone who's lost doesn't understand. And we have to make them realize there is such a thing as sin. Second of all, repentance includes grief because of sin. People have to feel bad about being sinners. And when they get to the place where they have grief because of sin, that's a good place to be for a sinner. Grief. You have to hate the fact that you're sin. When you're a Christian, you sin because you enjoy it. It feels good. When you're lost, you sin because you have to. You're a slave to it. But after you get saved, 
You still sin because you enjoy sinning. Had a friend years ago, had a habit, wanted to quit the habit. Kept saying, I don't understand why I can't quit. I said, because you love it. And you'll quit when you get to the point where you hate it. And you're sick of it. You're sorry about it. And in my life, there were stages in my life where I did certain things and I, and I would feel bad afterwards, but I didn't feel bad enough before. <laughs> and I would go through these things in my mind and, and try and battle it. But until you get to the place where you have grief because of sin and then finally a longing for sin to be gone, that's when you're ready, when you have a longing for sin to be gone. I want to get rid of this sin. I, I can't handle it anymore. I need help with it. And, and that's when you... Cry out to God. God, I'm a sinner. I'm sick of being a sinner, God. I want to be saved from my sin. That's the, that's the effect that the Holy Spirit has on you. He prepares you. He draws you to God. It's the only way you can meet God if you're lost is repentance. You cannot get to God any other way except through repentance. And repentance goes through the Lord Jesus Christ in his blood. He's a mediator between God and man. And repentance is the only way to get to God. It's the only way to experience freedom from sin and true change because the word repentance means to turn. And when somebody turns from sin, they're saved. Because God has brought them to the place where they hated their sin and they didn't want it anymore and they came to God on God's terms and they turned from it because of the grace of God is, 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 is the strength that we have to change. God's grace. His blood washes it away. And repentance is the only way to experience that. And people can't be saved that haven't repented. And I love the verse, old things are, are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. I, a few weeks back, I was talking about people I know that say, well, I prayed this prayer. And you look at their life, and they've never changed. They're the same. Folks, when somebody is born again, they have repented. And God begins to work in them. They've turned from their sin, and now God's given them strength to move away from it. And, you know, we all know stories, and some of them may be your own story, how you were a slave to sin. And when you got saved, all of a sudden, you started to hate that thing more and more and more and more, and eventually you were done with it. That's God's grace. God gives you that strength. And it's amazing how we're all different. Some people get saved, and immediately they quit everything that they were doing. My father-in-law will tell the story. He said, I got saved never said another curse word. He said, but I had some other things that took me a while. And some people hang on to things, but we know they hate it, and they're battling it. And you know they're under conviction when they come to church and say, you know, I'm pray for me, and I got this going on and that going on. And you know what that is. It's the Holy Spirit making them realize they got to change, and God's working on them and working on them and working on them. And where he's given you victory in some areas in your life, he may not give that same victory to someone else, so be patient with them. But we all have areas where we've been victorious and, and, and areas where we're still struggling. And guess what? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And it took him just a week to make the sun and the moon. 
the earth and the stars and all that. But he will work on me and prepare me and prepare me and prepare me until the day I die. And I'll still have the old flesh and the old battles. I'm seeing victories in some areas. In other areas, I'm still saying, Lord, so-and-so, he doesn't have that problem anymore, and I do. And it's amazing. But old things are passed away. All things have become new. And we just keep growing and growing and growing and growing. I remember when I was a young guy, I said, well, Lord, if I can quit drinking and partying with my friends, I'll be a good Christian. <laughs> well, guess what? When I quit that, <laughs> there's a couple more things I had to start working on. <laughs> and Lord, if I can quit this and that, I'll be a good Christian. <laughs> and I got victory and still didn't think I was a good Christian. And I still don't think I'm what I ought to be. It's a constant process in my life. But there's something new in here. And the old things are gone, and, and the, the Lord inside is constantly saying, that's wrong. Don't do that. And I love that about God's presence in our life. Well, we have a brief lesson tonight. Um, but I last week we gave you some little homework assignments to uh, share your testimony to, in some rhetorical question. What makes you rejoice? That's what we ought to think about. What makes us excited in life? Why do you praise the Lord? What keeps you going? I like 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice evermore. We need to make the choice to rejoice and rejoice over the right things. It's not wrong to rejoice over getting your house paid off. But let me tell you something. When you get to heaven, it's not really going to matter if your house is paid off. It's going to matter that you told your neighbor about Jesus. On my street, almost everyone in the first several houses professes Christ. But lately, for some reason, some guy's been on my heart in my neighborhood, and I was able to give him a Bible. But he's been on my heart, so I'm starting to pray. Lord, I don't know why he's on my heart. He goes to church, but I don't see the evidence in his life of any change. And I just pray, Lord, I've known him 20 years, and he's the same. He never wants to talk about spiritual things. And so, Lord, help me to win him if he's not saved. You know, I have, I pray every day for my old enemy, Steve Wren. I pray every day for a guy I feel sorry for. He's a drunkard, Bill Epperson. I pray for an uncle and aunt I have every day, my Uncle Paul and Aunt Marilyn. Well, I've got to be careful. They may watch the broadcast. Um, I, I pray every day uh, for Wayne Seeley, my friend. I played softball with him. I, I love the guy to death. I've sent him tracts and witnessed. But I have this little group I pray for. And I love it when I get word. I used to pray for Rick Wall. Then one day I got a call. Hey, Dan, this is Rick. I, I, I got busted on the Mexican border with a whole lot of drugs, and I went to jail for two years. When I got out of jail, I was living in southern Texas and met this lady. Something about her, he said. She's my wife now, and she's a wonderful Christian lady, and I've come to know Christ. He comes off the list. Isn't that great? My old high school buddy. So, you know, God, God wants us to rejoice over the right things. He wants us to be concerned. He wants us to rejoice over souls and care about one. Start thinking about one. One person you know that's lost, and just start praying for that one person. And I, I've used the word frangelism, friend, relative, associate, or neighbor. 
Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's an associate, the guy at the parts store, or the grocery. Maybe it's a neighbor. Get one person, just start praying every day. It won't take you 30 seconds to pray for that person every day. Someone have a testimony tonight where I'm finished with the message, but if you have something to share tonight, I know we do testimony Sunday night, but I was short tonight, and so we have a couple minutes left. Someone share something, anything. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Be praying for us as we meet Sunday. Be praying for Sunday morning service. We'll have visitors that will have someone here that's not a believer that can hear the gospel. And we need to go on the highways and hedges and compel them, right, to come in. All hearts clear?